you got to check this out. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece is a relatively new training tool launched in 2020 after nearly 16 years of research. What do they say? Relaxation is the key to running fast? The Airwave Mouthpiece fits along your bottom teeth and pushes your jaw just forward enough to create the optimal airway opening. That means increased endurance. Studies have shown Airwave can help you reduce your respiratory rate by 20%, which means less lactic acid. It even helps improve strength and leads to faster recovery times by reducing cortisol buildup by up to 50%. Check it out. They have peer-reviewed research. Go to airwave.com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. Check it out. Link in the show notes, airwave. That's A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com. Use code LR10. They're a partner with USA Triathlon. Relax that jaw when you run. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. The Diamond League is on hiatus, but track and field rolls on. We break down one of the best nights the sport has had all year, the epic Super Tuesday at the European Championships in Munich. Jakob Ingebrigtsen has repeated as the European 5,000-meter champion. and We wonder if there's any way to beat him in a championship 5K. The Olympic 100-meter champion, Marcel Jacobs, is also back. He runs his first sub-10 since Tokyo to win the Euro 100-meter title in 9.95. We've also got NACAX this weekend in the Bahamas. Full fields for almost all of the full marathons have been announced. How will Connor Mance do in his debut in Chicago? Could Kira D'Amato lower her American record this fall? We'll talk a little bit about that. Plus, we have a voicemail from Rojo, who is on vacation this week. He's still got a topic for us to discuss. I think it might be tough. I mean, Weldon, as I welcome in Weldon Johnson, the co-founder of Let's Run.com. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm going to miss Robert. His hot takes provide a focal point of this of this podcast for better or worse so hopefully we'll be able to get through an hour of track and field talk without him today but i will miss him for sure rojo will be missed but the itunes ratings will go up chance of cancelization goes down so we know there will be a podcast next week as well it's interesting we were talking about like oh what are we going to do for this podcast nothing's really going on and then i was like well let's just Let's kick the can down the road. Let's see if anything happens. The European Championships on Tuesday night. You know, there's some good events on the schedule. I think we we have a bunch to talk about now because watching that meet on Tuesday afternoon in the US, Tuesday night in Munich, I was energized. Well, and they got me pumped up. That's our sport at its finest. There were 50,000 fans on a Tuesday night in Munich, Germany for the European Championships. And... We had an epic comeback in the decathlon. We had a huge long jump by the Olympic champion, Miltos Tentoglu of Greece, to win the men's long jump. We had Marcel Jacobs making his dramatic return and winning gold in the men's 100. We had a very dramatic women's 100, where the top three were separated by 
one hundredth of a second, we had a surprise winner, Gina Luckenkemper of Germany, who also split her leg open in the aftermath of this race. I'm not sure if you saw the photos. And of course, we had Jakob Ingebrigtsen putting on another masterclass in the 5,000 meters to win his second straight European gold in that event and add to the world title he won in Eugene. And the crowd was into it. They had the epic light show from before the 100 meter files in Doha, the same guy in charge of that, Florian Weber. He's in charge of the presentation in Munich. And so they had that beforehand. That got me excited. I don't know. It was, it was a great night of track and field. I wish I was in Munich for it. Well, then. Sorry, the plane ticket didn't come through, John. And it's crazy, John. We're, we're saying we have nothing to talk about. Since we've last had the regular podcast, we did have the Monaco Diamond League meet. Arguably the greatest Diamond League meet on the circuit. It's either Monaco or pre outside of the Diamond League championships every single year, which is the best meet. But hey, we recapped that extensively so for supporters club members. You want a second podcast every week. You got to be a member. I mean, we don't try to exclude the non-members, but when we do an hour plus podcast on Monaco, what, like, what is it now? Five days later, when we reconvene, we don't think, oh, wow, we need to talk about Monaco again at depth. But maybe we should, John, because we, we put Grant Fisher, American record in the headline. We, we would get listeners. We, we will talk about big Monaco impressions, I think, at the end. That's how the news cycle works. Well, then, you know, people have moved on. I mean, are we still talking about the Monaco Diamond League right now? Like, like we, I guess we could, but people want that instant reactions. And that's the great thing about joining the supporters club is we will give you your rea- our reactions to Monaco right when it happens. You know, you have, we did it. 4.05 p.m., I think. The meet ended at 4, and we were on the air by, well, okay, maybe 4.10. Sometimes we're a little late with those things. But if you're in the supporters club and you can't listen at 4 in the afternoon, it was in your feed that night or the next morning. So you get the fresh takes, the freshest takes, if you join the supporters club. Now you'll sort of get the more informed, rational takes a week out. But that's not always what, what you want when you see an amazing performance. True, true, John. All right, let's start with Europeans last night. I want to start with the 5K. Jakob Ingebrigtsen running second race in two days. He ran the 1,500-meter prelim the day before. Made it look easy. Running 55-second last lap to qualify for the finals. He's in the 5K final. And, hey, this isn't the World Championships. It's the European Championships. You're thinking, okay, this should be a cakewalk, right? Considering... As a 17-year-old, he did win the 1,500 and 5K double at these same Euros. But, John, this field is pretty good, and it's led by, well, the challengers are led by Mohamed Couture, who got the bronze medal at Worlds in the 1,500. He's run 12.50 for 5K. So, right there, I'm like, okay, this isn't a cakewalk. Yeah, on the back straight, I mean, Katia put up a good fight. Jakob did what he always does. He tried to ratchet it down. He went to the lead with about 1,000 to go. He ran 60.26 for his third-to-last lap, then 59.46 for his second-to-last lap. That's what he's so good at, is really upping the pace. And then, you know, there are a bunch of guys, I'm sure, in this, well, maybe not in this race, but there are a bunch of guys in the world who can run their last 400 over 5,000 meters in 53 seconds. But very few of them can do it 
after going 60-59 the two previous laps. That's what Jakob did. He would 60-59 and then 53.74, 223 final kilometer, 357.0 final 1600. But with 200 to go, Mohamed Katia was right on his shoulder. And I was looking, I was thinking, I'm like, well, it's championship racing. This is why we watch. Look, Ingebrigtsen's the best guy in the world. I expect him to win. And he did pull away and won relatively comfortably in the end. But this is why we tune in because you never know if someone's going to pull a Jake Whiteman and go by and have his own move. And Katia didn't have that, but he put up a big fight. But Jakob was just so damn good, man. I mean, it, it was, it's just really, it's like poetry in motion, just watching him close it down and run away from everyone. It was very similar to what he did at the World Championship final in Eugene, except minus the water stops. But 223 final 1K, 53 last lap. I think that's that might have been a little faster than he ran in Eugene, but it was a very similar race and well-deserved title for Jakob. It was masterclass performance. I mean, I was devouring some of the stuff on the message boards. Some of the posters, and I agreed, like, has anyone ever in the history of the world looked smoother running 60 seconds per lap? It just looks effortless for him. And Kachir is a very smooth runner tier, too. And he's just right there with 100 to go. And Jakob has shown no acceleration. It just seems very smooth the whole time. And you're like, whoa, if there's a burst of speed, maybe he can get beat. But the the acceleration was just very gradual by Jakob, the final 100, and just blew him away. Yeah, the difficult thing with Jakob when you watch him run is it is hard to gauge how fast he's running because he just looks so smooth the entire time. And you need to look at the other athletes behind him, essentially either the gaps he's creating or how their form is changing to figure out how fast he's going. One guy that does come to mind, Weldon, is Matthew Centrowitz. He could run 52 or 63, and it would look the same to me. He's another guy who just, his form is always very smooth, very rarely breaks down. But watching this Ingebrigtsen race, like you said, there was some good message board posts about this. One thread I enjoyed was, how do you beat Jakob in a championship 5,000? Because, you know, when he takes the lead like this, like, unless it's super, super fast, he can just go to the front with 1K and kind of control things. And that's kind of what we saw with Mo Farah. Farah wouldn't always drop it to a 69.50, but th this was the question by XCFan2233. So outside of Chepsegai rediscovering his 1235 form, how can you beat him in a championship race? I think it's important that you try to prevent him from controlling the race from the front, but that's easier said than done. He also might be the best time trier in the field after seeing him dispatch most of the Olympic podium in Florence last year with a 1248. So let's see you're the coach of the Ugandan Federation next year. What do you tell Cheptegai, Kiplimo, Chalimo to do in order to beat him? And I think that's a great question because, again... Like, if you want to get in front of Jakob, that means you need to be running, like, 58 or 59 second pace with three or two laps to go. There aren't a lot of athletes who are going to want to do that and then still have something left for a kick. And I thought the best response to this question was from Salvatore Stitchmo. He said, you need to force him into changes of pace that disrupt his rhythm. And if he leads with 500 to go in the same way that Farah, he's almost unbeatable. When he makes moves around the field, you simply have to match his impetus and make him chop his stride to markedly accelerate to get by you. Rhythm-based pace grinders or squeezers like Jakob 
hate having to change their cadence and make multiple short bursts of acceleration during the race. In that final, it was obvious the final 80 meters, Katia wouldn't have won either way, but I don't know why he wouldn't at least try to make it interesting by going back past him with a short burst down the back straight. You almost have to do the co double kick, which is kick past someone, and when they accelerate to match you ready them and ready themselves, you kick again. Obviously, you need to be really good to do this, but there are guys out there with the lungs to do it and the ability to train for at least attempting it. But save for a twelve forty five sub twelve forty five solo effort, which starts at the gun, it seems really difficult to beat him over the distance right now. So, what do you make? What do you think is the best way to beat Jakob in a race like this? I think you don't beat him is probably the short answer, but I think these are a great post. They're also the post of the week. These Jakob Ingram and super smooth. Our running shirts are super smooth and soft, John. We'll give both these guys free let's run shirts. Salvador Stitchmo, XC fan two two three three. We'll be getting in touch with you. Shop.letsrun.com. And hey, if you're a supporters club member, you get thirty percent off in our store. Another reason to join today, and you save twenty percent on running shoes. It's a no-brainer. Join the supporters club today. But John, yeah, you got to throw Jakob off his rhythm. If you just let him. His endurance is better than anyone. His absolute flat-out speed isn't, but so the speed, but it's the combination of speed and endurance is better than everyone. If you let him control the race from the front in a five k, you will lose. You will lose every single time. So I think Stitch mows onto something. You have to try to like make him have a burst of speed, get off his rhythm. The fifteen hundred is a little bit of a different event. But what did Jake Whiteman do at World in the fifteen hundred? Well, it wasn't Whiteman. It was. Timothy Chariot battling Ingebrigtsen for the lead. Like, Ingebrigtsen had to fight off Timothy Chariot about three times once Ingebrigtsen went to the front, and that basically softened him up for Whiteman to make his move with 200 to go. And that, I mean, I agree with you, Weldon. I think, in general, when you're the very best guy, like, if you have the best endurance and you're also the Olympic 1500-meter champion, you're not going to lose many 5,000s. Like, this is, we can strategize all you want, but if you're the fittest guy in the field, that's just a massive advantage. And this is why Mo Farah, everyone's like, oh, how do we beat Mo Farah? Like, what's the strategy? It's like, well, no, he's just better than everyone. So most of the time, you're not going to beat him. But I think that's kind of the way it has to work is you need either someone who's supremely fit, who can actually make those challenges themselves, like throw in a few surges with 1,000 to go or 800 to go and force Jakob to go to the gears that he doesn't want to use early to force him, as he would say, to waste energy, you know, fighting off these moves. Or you either work team tactics, you sacrifice, like if you're a Ugandan coach, and they don't all have the same coach, but Chalimo and Kipolimo are brothers or half-brothers, I believe. If you say, okay, one of us is going to be the guy that tries to soften him up with a 1,000 to go, and one of us is going to try to soften him up with 600 to go, and then the fittest guy he's going to make the attack with 200 or 150, and that's going to be the guy we're going to try to win the race. I think that's one way to try to attack him because I don't know if there's going to be one guy who's going to be fit enough to make all those attacks and then still be able to outkick the Olympic 1500 champion. John, having a teammate, I think that helps, or partner in crime. I kind of think that's what happened at Worlds in some way. You already mentioned Chariot battling him for the lead. I think that softened him up. And then Whiteman still battled for the lead at 200. And I, ideally, Jakob doesn't want to give up the lead there. But he was faced with a decision. 
he probably picked it up a little bit. Then he's like, oh, this is too much. And then he backs off, but he's the boom. He just wasted a little energy. So I think that's the way to do it. And this race, in retrospect, what is Kachir thinking, John? I mean, maybe he's just thinking if I can hang with him till 100 meters to go, I can go past him. But yeah, I don't know. Is he noticing? Oh, shoot. Every stride is getting a little bit faster. I mean, we have some stats here from XCFan2233 Weldon that can show us just how expertly Ingebrigtsen close this thing down but yeah i don't know i think he's probably just hoping hey i'm hope i'm still with him with 100 to go and i can pull past him right yeah i mean it's sort of natural right he's one of the this guy's a bronze at the world's he's a 1255k runner he can now kick almost anyone in the world and we love to think we can outkick everybody so that's how he's probably won races his entire career what what most people do they like to sit to the final 100 meters sit as long as possible and come on by but with Jakob, it's not going to work. I mean, these these splits you mentioned are amazing. Pretty much uh, the last 100 meters, each 100 meters for the final 900 meters at Worlds and Euros, as XC fan points out, Jakob was getting faster. I mean, there's one or two exceptions, but 15.1, 15.3, 15.0, 14.9, 14.8, 14.6, 14.2, 13.7, 13 13.0, 13 and a 12.8 final 100 meters to finish it off the Euros. <laughs> you let him get to the front, he's going to wind it down like that, and that's going to crush everybody. Even a, guy, even a guy who's pretty much as good as it gets, a 1500 5K combo guy, right sitting on his shoulder, not having to draft, gets crushed. Yeah, just look at those splits, though, especially the last two, like 13.0, 12.8. So he closed 25.8 seconds for his last 200 at the end of a 357.1600 and a 223.1K, which is a pace, a 350-mile pace. Like most milers, that's quick for a miler. And to do that at the end of a 5K and to close in 25.8, I mean, yeah, part of it is just like, how, how the hell do you beat that? You probably don't. XCPN also points out 223 for the thousand is 350 mile pace. A lot of these guys can't run a 350 miles, or that's pretty much all out for them. I mean, not for Katir, but I mean, Katir's sort of one of a handful of guys who's got great mile speed, very good at 5K, and Jakob's absolutely destroyed him. And it is interesting. I guess this was an overall slower race, but the the final splits, you know, the final 200 here was much faster than at Worlds. But I guess Jakob also at Worlds kind of had it wrapped up, the final 50. Yeah, he was celebrating by the end. I, I have a question for you, Weldon, though. I was seeing some talk on the message boards and people were saying like, oh yeah, you need to make it fast. I mean, Jakob, he's never going to be able to run 1235 like Chapter guy. I'm like, why the hell not? This guy said he thinks he's a better, well, he thinks he's a better championship 5,000 runner. I can get that, but and we've talked about him going after that 326 world record of El Garouge in the 1500, but do you think he can get the 5,000 world record at some point too? Because remember, he ran 1248 last year at 20 years old. I feel like you put him in a good race, give him a few years. His endurance is already really good, but 
I don't know. I feel like he could also get that 5,000 world record if he really, really went after it in 2024 or something like that. Wait, is it? It's 1235. Yeah. See, mentally, I still haven't adjusted that somebody's run that fast. So I, I still can't think that anyone can actually beat that record. But I just said I've never seen someone smoother in the world running 60 seconds a lap. And you pretty much have to run 60 seconds a lap to beat it, right? I mean, 60 seconds a lap is 1230. Maybe that's the next great barrier. I mean, it's sick that somebody can run essentially, well, it's not four minute mile, but four minute 1600 pace for a 5K. It's beautiful <laughs> the day somebody does that. I, I, yeah, at some point, I want to see him try to do it. But I, I'd rather have see him. Which record would you rather see him beat, John? I'd rather see him get the 1500. And I do think, all right, my prediction this year was that he was going to get the 1500 meter record at the start of the year. That was one of my bold predictions, along with Arian Knight and would win Worlds. And Galen Rupp would win the world championship marathon uh none of those came to fruition but i'm taking you know i'm gonna say can i take a mulligan on the jacob one i thought he was gonna run monaco there was no men's 1500 in monaco this year therefore there was no world record but i think 2023 the monaco 1500 will be right before worlds instead of right after worlds we saw right before worlds this year he went to oslo and ran 346 in the mile and he got the European record. I think, wait, did he get that? He got the European record, right? He, he, he broke Steve Cram's mark for that. I'm pretty sure he did. Um, no, he missed it, John. Oh, he missed it. Okay. Damn. He was right there though. Okay. Yeah. Cram was 346.32 Ingebrigtsen 346.46. So he did miss it. All right. But my thinking is next year, in Monaco, he will go for the 1500 meter world record and he'll get it. That's my prediction. It's sort of interesting, right? Because indoors, didn't he just miss the record? The few times he's gone for the records in the mile, he's come up short. Indoors, he got the 1500 meter world record. He definitely, 100%, he did break that record this year. Did he miss something? Maybe a mile record? He got beat at world indoors, but. He didn't, he broke the record. Like, he didn't race much indoors this year, but he did get the record. I just checked the schedule, John. I did not know when Worlds were next year. Thankfully, August 19th to August 27th. So I assume the Diamond League final will be like right after that. Maybe that's an okay way to do it, but I, I think the season should end with Worlds. That's my new preference. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's kind of, we had that in 2019 and I think it was pretty good. And we got some great before, we still got some really fast performances at Worlds. But I also do sometimes like having those matchups that we didn't quite get at the World Championships. Though I guess how often does that really happen where the guys or women who didn't race each other at Worlds then are like, oh yeah, we'll do this matchup at the World, you know, post Worlds. So we get all these races that we wanted to see, like, Sydney McLaughlin running a flat 400 or Thing Mo running a flat 400. Well, we didn't see any of that after the Olympics last year. So I think it probably does make more sense to do that. But I don't know. I don't mind having the Diamond League finals right afterwards. Yeah, the finals fine if we have like one more big meet, but just like a whole series of meets, it's just a bit strange. Yeah. But 
if the stars show up, you know, we keep beating a dead horse, you know. How often do we see Sidney McLaughlin do X? We don't see her do anything except break world records at major championships. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is when the stars come out, they imbue these meets with meaning. Like the European Championships, why am I excited about last night? Because Marcel Jacobs and Jakob Ingebrigtsen showed up and competed. Why did I care about some of these Commonwealth Games races? Because Keely Hodgkinson was there, Mary Marat, Ollie Hoare, Jake Whiteman, Josh Kerr. You know, it can be after the world change. Like, this is what we've been clamoring for is more meets that matter outside of worlds. Well, guess what? Meets matter when there is some sort of thing on the line, whether it's a Diamond League title or a Commonwealth title or European title. There's some sort of a prize or something or history attached to the meet. And the best athletes in the world are there or some of the biggest stars. And that's what we've seen with the Euros. That's what we've seen with Commonwealths. I don't think that's the reason why these meets are getting 50,000 fans. That's kind of different. I think it's about the way Europeans view the sport versus how Americans view the sport. I mean, they view this as like a European championship, not necessarily a trap meet. This is just like a place for top athletes. Whereas Americans, I don't know if there's any track meet outside of the Olympics and I guess the Olympic trials that they view as like a larger sporting event and not just like a track meet, if you know what I'm saying. You know what you're saying. Until they put the world in a major U.S. metropolitan area, I think it's totally unfair, essentially, to evaluate the crowds at Eugene. They were disappointing, but Eugene's in the middle of nowhere. We've pointed that out a bunch. I mean, we had decent attendance for sort of like second tier U.S. sports in Eugene. A couple sellouts. Maybe one sellout. I think there was more than one officially, but that's, I never saw a stadium. I ne- the stadium was never full of the seats were not all occupied at the same time. That might have been because where the sun was, but there was never one point where every seat was full. Yeah, I mean, even the biggest track supporter in Eugene would have to say that attendance was somewhat disappointing. I thought that was one thing that would be packed every single day. But I think if there was a track in sort of New York City, you could get 50,000 in the U.S. certain days for Worlds. But Maybe. Mark, I think that's a big question. I'm not certain about that. I think promoted correctly, maybe, if you make it out to be like World Championships, you th- I, I don't know. You, you think if there was like a high-quality track, track with 50,000 capacity in New York, we'd be able to get 50,000 for World Championships? Yes. We, I don't know. I mean, we get 20,000 for a Texas Relays, but you're telling me everyone's related to somebody in attendance? I'm, a lot of them are, yeah. I mean, have you seen Texas State meet or like the Ohio State meet? They get like 10,000 or something, but it's because everyone's related. It's, it's, and that's going to be a lot harder in New York. So I, I'd like to, I'd, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I wish it would, but I'm not confident that if you had a track and field world championships in New York, you would get 50,000 fans. Well, John, no one's going to put that to the test, so I think you're pretty safe. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like 40 years before that happens, if it ever does. Let's get back. Yeah, that's when, when I win the lottery and build it, I'd probably build a big track stadium in Boston, and then we can put it to the test. Um, but all right, let's talk about Euros some more, because there were some other great performances. I was excited. I love Marcel Jacobs comes back, and... You know, people say, oh, how's he going to look? Because he hasn't broken 10 seconds all year. They go, 
it's interesting in Euros, the preliminary they have a preliminary round, uh, just like they do at the World Championships, except it's the the equivalent of what the first round is at Worlds. So the best athletes get a buy into the semifinals, which is what Marcel Jacobs is obviously one of the best athletes. He shows up. He runs 10 flat, shutting it down, looks very smooth. He has one of the some of the best form of anyone in the 100. He just always looks so under control. He very rarely breaks form at the end of the race. It's quite a pleasure to watch him actually run these races. And then the final, it was it was no contest. He was the clear champion. Uh, Zonel Hughes gets the silver, 9.99. So pretty decent, two, two Europeans under 10 in the same race. Jeremiah Azu of Great Britain was... The bronze medalist. He was the European champion. He was freaking out. He was so pumped. And, you know, to see what it meant to him to win the bronze was pretty cool. But Jacobs, I was just like, damn, this guy looks smooth. I wish he was healthy this year because I really think Fred Curley's been phenomenal. But if Jacobs was healthy the whole year through, with how well he he beat Christian Coleman in the 60 in Berlin, and that's maybe, sorry, in Belgrade, that's maybe the greatest 60 meter runner of all time, Christian Coleman. I, don't know. I just really wish that we could have seen J- a fully healthy Jacobs versus now he's getting healthy and Fred Curley is injured and hasn't raced since Worlds. That was on my list of one of the showdowns I wanted to see in 2022. And I, I think we might have to wait until next year for these two to really square off at full strength. Yeah, I forgot Curley was injured, so we probably will have to wait. But I mean, it's interesting, John. You say it's no contest. I just put up here on the screen that you and I can see the finish of the race. There's maybe like what a meter that separates them, meter and a half. I guess somebody could figure it out. It's point oh four. I mean, it's half a stride. Okay, it, but no, but that's how sprinting is, right? This one wasn't in doubt. I'm a huge Marcel Jacobs fan. He's he's we're, we're talking about Jakob Ingebrigtsen's smooth running style. He has it. I mean, obviously, to be a top spinner in the world, I don't know. Ben Johnson wasn't smooth, right? But this guy, he's pretty big. Once he gets up to speed, uh, he he cruises. There's very little strain. I liked him. Also, shout out to the uh, Kinesio tape he, he wore. It was in Italian co- colors. His left leg had Kinesio tape, and it was green, red, and white. Am I missing a color? Blue? No, green, red, and white. The, Italy, their sports teams are blue, even though blue is not one of the three colors on their flag. It's kind of confusing. It's like the Netherlands and orange. But, well, the other thing I like about Jacobs is he just shows up to these meets. Like, you're the Olympic 100-meter champion. I'm sure he's one of the most famous athletes in Italy. He doesn't, he, I'm sure he's well compensated. He doesn't need to be going to Belgrade to run World Indoors or to Munich to run Europeans. But he shows up. He's the Olympic champion. It's more important now that he's there. It adds a little air level of prestige. He went to Nairobi. He was going to race Fred Curley, the Olympic silver medalist in Nairobi, until his stomach got upset. How often do you see the Olympic champion going out to Nairobi to race a non-diamond league against the Olympic silver medalist? I mean, I, I just like that he isn't afraid to go out there and mix it up. You're still buying, John, that he was planning to run that race? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I've gotten upset stomach when I've gone to East Africa before um, on the Western diet. So I don't know. I'd like to believe, I'd like to think that's the real reason. It's not some grand conspiracy. Well, I was just like, what the Olympic champions outdoor debut is going to be in Nairobi. I don't know much sure how much cash they have for the appearance fee, but 
yeah, I love seeing him, him run. He, he made it look easy. And I posted that on the forums. And then I get some guy chiming in, John, about peptides. What, what about them? I don't even know what a peptide is. I've heard of them. I've seen this one before. I just see some reference. Someone will just say IGF-1LR3. Apparently that's a peptide, but it's made in China. So they're having supply chain issues. Now the guy just says 5-amino-1MQ. And he claimed that's why we're seeing all these fast sprint times. <laughs> that's just sort of the nature of our sport, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, but why couldn't the American sprinters be on these drugs as well? So th that part doesn't square, but the whole part of our sport is like, you know, are what we're watching, is it real? And I think for some of the people it is. So I don't know. I, I'm always... Yeah, look, you have to have some sort of skeptical eye when you're watching these events. And look, Marcel Jacobs came out of nowhere last year. He goes from never breaking 10 seconds to running 9.80 in the Olympic final. We talked about this at the time. Obviously, given what we've seen in the 100 meters, most people who run that fast have failed to test it at some point. You have to be a little skeptical. But what is the concrete links that we have linking Marcel Jacobs to any form of steroid? He... I think he used to work with a nutritionist who was investigated for peddling some form of drug, but then the nutritionist was cleared. Jacobs was like, that's really the most tangential link we have to it. So unless you sort of have that real clear, obvious connection, I think you have to extend some sort of benefit of the doubt. Otherwise you're not, you're just not going to enjoy the sport at all because yes, there's going to be questions about any top sprinter, but if you're going to watch the 100 and just say, oh, well, he's running this. Once you hit a certain threshold of time, you must be on drugs. Well, track and field is not the sport for you. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate people's skepticism because I, I want to be aware of what these drugs are. I, I, I guess by now I should know what IGF-1 is, whatever. But I, I, some of the logic I don't buy. Why would a drug just help teenagers? Because they're like teenagers more than others. They're like, oh, the Botswana guy's running fast teenager the american teenagers running fast israeli teenager and i'm like well that's not logical that teenagers are running fast because there's a new drug Th that would mean everybody's running fast right I, I think but i don't know that at least our sport tries to catch people and has severe punishments well i mean baseball right well, baseball cares about it. Like people, I think, aren't going to view Fernando Tatis the same way now that he's got this 80 game suspension. Like in football, it doesn't seem to be a huge deal. Every, like people just forget about the football suspensions. But we have a whole generation of players who aren't in the Hall of Fame because of steroids. So I think it does still matter in baseball. That's like one of the few American sports where it is a big deal. It matters. And this Fernando Tatis thing is huge. I mean, the Padres are in a lot of trouble this year. But he still misses half the season. Track, you'd be out four years now. Imagine that, John. He'd lose $130 million. For, no, no. What's the salary? Uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, so the punishment in track, the rewards are lower, and the punishment is higher. I wish some of these other sports had a four-year suspension, two-year suspension. Uh, drugs would be viewed very differently in those sports. Football, you get a four-game suspension. I mean, complete effing joke, right? You miss a quarter of the season. You're almost incentivized 
as much money as those guys make. Yeah, the incentive is do it until you get caught, and then okay, you do four game ban, and then you might start facing severe penalties. But it's basically you get a free, free pass for the first one. Outside, you know, four games. It's not a big deal. All right. Uh, other events in Munich, women's hundred was pretty crazy. I went in and I was thinking, okay, Dina Asher Smith. I know she kind of pulled up in the relay at the World Championships, but. She was so good in her individual event finals, fourth in the 100, third in the 200. I viewed her as the clear favorite. She goes into this race, but she pulls up again. Midway down the home straight, she just pulls up. She said she was cramping. She couldn't finish. Daryl Nater, who's had a great year for the for Great Britain, she also said she was cramping in the blocks. She still finished and ran 11 flat, but she wasn't 100% in the race, and that kind of opened the door. It was a great finish. We had... Majinga Kambunji of Switzerland, the world indoor champion in the 60. She's second. She's crossing the line right with Nader. But then Germany, Gina Luckenkemper comes in, runs 10.99. They all cross within one hundred of a second. Luckenkemper edges Kambunji by five thousandths to get the win in 10.99. And then there was this picture afterwards. She had this wound on her knee. I don't know if it, she didn't even know how it happened. Maybe it was because she fell to the track afterwards, but it was like, I, I thought it was some stitches that had broken open because it didn't look normal. Like you would think there would be blood gushing out, but it was just sort of like muscle or it was, it was, it was fairly gory. Like avoid it. If you can't really handle that sort of thing. She wasn't even sure what happened. All she knew is she was the champion. The German crowd was going crazy. This was a really fun race. I mean, look, obviously they're, a fair bit back of the Jamaicans, but you don't get much more dramatic 100-meter finals than this one. Yeah, great race. I mean, I think that shows that the stakes can matter in a lesser, at a lesser level. It's still a European championship, home crowd. People went nuts. You know, uh, watching it as a, just a neutral, it was a fun race. But... And should we talk about the mid-distance performance of the night? I mean, the 5,000, if we call that long distance, the mid-distance performance of the night belonged to Nicholas Cal, the 2019 world champion of the decathlon. He was down, I want to say 300 or 400 points or something after eight events in the decathlon. They only had the javelin and the 1,500 meters to go. And the leader was Simon Ahama, the young Swiss athlete who was also the Silver medalist at the World Championships in the long jump this year. Sorry, bronze medalist in the long jump. So one of the best long jumpers in the world. And that's what helped him get out to this big lead. But then Nicholas Cowell threw 76 meters in the javelin, which is a tremendous javelin throw for a heptathlete. And that was 23 meters farther than a hammer. So he made up a huge gap there. But he's still way behind going to the final event. Cowell's in third, I believe. And Ahama is leading. And the way the math works is Cal needs to beat Ahama by 27 seconds in the 1500. Most times you think 27 seconds, that's not happening. That's just way too big. You can just stalk the guy as long as you don't fall completely behind. It's doable. It's not doable. But Cal actually is a great 1500 meter for runner for a decathlete. His PB was 413. And Ahama is terrible. He's run four four. I mean, for a decathlete, four forty two, 
1500 meters is his personal best. So going in, their announcers were like, hey, this could actually happen. This is going to be exciting. And Cal, I thought, ran a really sensible race. Instead of, he did not go out with all the leaders. There was three guys who were like in front of him after one lap. Cal hung back. And then he takes the lead a little after 400 meters, pulls away. He runs 410, personal best. That's a very fast 1500 in decathlon, 410. And Ihama just has nothing left. He runs 448, finishes dead last, overcomes the gap. Nicholas Cowell, the 2019 world champion, is now the European champion. But I thought in terms of a decathlon final event, this was pretty much as dramatic as it gets as well. I was really excited. Well, I guess it could be more dramatic if they're battling each other like head-to-head for the win, but how often do you see that in decathlon? I was enthralled, and I think I credit the announcers. I was watching the BBC feed. They did a great job of relaying the situation, but also credit Nicholas Cal. I mean, 410 PB on home soil to win the European gold, that's just so clutch. I thought it was a really impressive night from him. Yeah, John, you credited the announcers. I got a confession to make. I think I was trying to write a recap of the... 5k or something and the announcers were screaming and i'm like nothing happens at the cafe on 5 1500 and i tried to mute them i knew some guy was running fast so it's just like this isn't gonna change the result of the race so like, he has to win by a lot and i missed the damn thing german dude too so it's like damn it i, I don't know what who I was expecting i'd heard him say something about miller Weibo earlier and i didn't hear his name and kevin meyer the world champ pulled up lame in the hundreds. So I, I, I don't know. I guess I should have known. Call was 2019 world champ. I don't know why that name didn't really ring a bell for me, but I completely botched this one. It's okay. That's what I'm here for, Weldon, is to recap it for you on the podcast. But you missed a heck of it. One of the best decathlon 1500s ever ever seen. Probably most exciting I could recall since Ashton Eaton in the world, the world record in 2010. Sorry, sorry, 2012. All right. Somehow, Weldon, we got like 45 minutes out of one night of the European Athletics Championships. I'm pretty proud of ourselves, but there is other stuff in the sport to recap and to discuss. And we've also got a voicemail from Rojo. So where do you want to go? Anything else on Europeans or should we hit another topic here? Yes, John, because one more thing related to Europeans and a voicemail. Until yesterday, I was like, oh, Europeans, this is great. We're going to get a 1500 meter matchup from Worlds. We're going to get well, I knew Whiteman wasn't running, but I'm like, okay, we have Jakob, we have Mar- Mario Garcia-Romo, we have Katir. They were three at the top four. They're going to go back at it again. Well, Whiteman was out. Turns out Katir is only running the 5K. This race is losing a little luster. But I'm like, oh, and we have Josh Kerr, right? Bronze medal at the Olympics last year. Looked great at the rounds at Worlds. And now, John, Josh Kerr is out of the 1500 as well. Sounds like he's injured, but, or he'd suffered an illness, I think. But fortunately, the fake Josh Kerr has called in, left a voicemail. This may have come before Josh actually pulled, pulled out of Euros, but after his last place finish at the Commonwealth Games. Boys, fake Josh Kerr goes home devastated. Fake Josh Kerr went home to his Olympic bronze medal. That's where fake Josh Kerr went home to. Anyways. These big crowds at the Commonwealth. You know, Britain has a tradition of uh, athletics, and every town has an athletic club in it. It's much more of a grassroots sport of the people. Here in America, it's more a college sport, more elite. So there's that disconnect there. Anyway, that's my thought on the crowds. 
And as far as cheering, Weldon, when you were on the podcast the other day, you can guarantee that they're cheering for Irish because she won and they consider her British. Right? I was British when I won the bronze medal. But you know what I was when I finished DFL the other day? Scottish. You ask Andy Murray about that. He knows all about that. Doesn't he, Jonathan? All right, boys. We'll talk soon. Cheerio. Is that true, John? When they're famous, they're... That, is, that definitely is the mindset for some people, I'm sure. I, I think for the most we saw in Birmingham, even though it's England officially as the host, all the British athletes got great reception. So and I, it's interesting. I asked my dad because I don't really root for athletes or anything in track and field. So I don't have an attachment like England, Great Britain, Scotland. What It doesn't really matter to me. It's I just don't root for athletes. But I asked my dad, I'm like, so were you rooting for McColgan? He's like, oh yeah, definitely. You know, she's British. Like, you know, just she was wearing Scotland, but she, I rooted for her when she wore the Great Britain kit in Worlds two weeks ago. I'm now not going to root for her just because she's wearing a different jersey. Like, that's not how it works. So, if you're British, you know, at least from my dad's perspective, you still, you still get rooted on. Now, it's different in football because. There is no Great Britain team. You would not compete for Great Britain. We don't enter a British team in the Olympics apart from 2012. So it's only England and Scotland. So you root against the Scottish team. And, you know, the Scottish athletes, if we have Scottish athletes on like Brighton, fine. But like England, Scotland is a rivalry there. But in, in athletics, they compete for Great Britain. So you root for the Brits. Well, John, since you mentioned football, Americans out there, if you're looking for a team, Chris Richards of the U.S. National National Men's Team, he made his debut versus Liverpool for Crystal Palace. Came in late. Crunch situation. Our great manager, Patrick Vera, trusted him. 1-1 tie versus Liverpool for Crystal Palace. Just throwing it out there. You're looking for a team. Crystal Palace is your team. No, no, because, again, your Premier League table, Crystal Palace, 16th. Zero wins. Brighton, 8th. Beat Manchester United out at Old Trafford. I mean, we're the team you should be following here. Okay, these are the only two teams. But no one from America wants to root for Brighton. It's not even London. They can't even go watch the games. What? Brighton's much nicer than Crystal Palace, South London. I know, but we have character. We're in London. We're a real team, real jerseys. We don't have an American Express on the jerseys. It's South London, you know. Just, wow. Kind of Croydon. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, like, London's nice, but you're like kind of on the, you know, kind of on the fringes of London. But elitism, anyway. <laughs> All right, John, the biggest meet of the week. Let's give our big impressions on Monaco before we turn to some of this upcoming stuff and talk about the fall marathon season, which pretty much are announced in full now. I mean, we got. That's a beautiful thing if you're a distance running fan. I mean, if you're a track fan, the season's very short, right? The outdoor season, it's... Well, uh, you got some like bullshit beats in April and May, but you pretty much have two and a half, three months of the season, and that's it. But if you're a distance running fan, then we're about to head into marathon season, so it's great. But Monaco, this meet delivered. Why did it deliver, Weldon? Do you remember the performances from a week ago? That's where you're supposed to jump in, John. And his little tandem. Yeah, you know, yeah. Tandem I, no, thing. I can. I can. Uh, no, for me, 
It's delivered. Okay, Faith Kipyogun comes within point three zero, I think, of the world record. There we go. See, you remember what happened. I know what happened. I was just hoping for a little, you know, people. Oh, a little assist. All right. If you want me to do a solo podcast, I'll try. I didn't think it was possible, but (laughs) Rojo went off air last time. I did 15 minutes by myself. Probably took me about 30 and I just had to adopt the pauses. But hey, it was pretty good. And that was highlight. Well, I don't know. If it's it's, well, it's probably it's not highlight number one. Highlight number one for me was Grant Fisher getting the American record at 3K. Even though we got beat, even though it's a soft record, I just knew this thing was going down. You said it wasn't going to go down, so it's a personal highlight as well. But uh, I, I think Robert knew it was going down. You were not quite as strong as Rojo. I give Rojo the credit for making that prediction. And then we had a huge matchup in the 200. Noah Lyles. Arian Knight and Michael Norman, and I guess we shouldn't expect it anything differently. Knight ran fast in, in in what April, and got destroyed. Almost beat Lyles at USA's, but then got destroyed at Worlds. So with that trajectory, you think he would get beat here? He did. And Michael Norman, I expect a little better from him actually, but it was an okay run. Yeah, like what, what, 1988 or something for Norman? He was fine. Lyle, I mean, Lyle's running 1946. That got me excited because he was talking before Monaco. He was like saying, he was talking about Bolt's world record. He was sort of saying, like, yeah, you know, at this moment, no, but like, give me like a month or something and to get a little more training in or get fully recovered or whatever, uh, I might go after it. So I'm thinking, like, oh, is he going to go like Lausanne or Brussels or Zurich? Might he try to, could he run faster? That got me really prompt because if you remember Johan Blake, the closest we've seen anyone come to Bolt, that was 2011, the end of the season uh, in Brussels, I believe. And I think it was after the World Championships. I'm just pulling up. Yeah, Johan Blake, September 16th. He ran 19.26. Now there aren't, you know, it's not going to be September 16th. And now the Worlds were later that year, so it was only a couple weeks after Worlds. But I don't know. I'm going to be excited. If Noah Lyles is running 200 in Brussels or Zurich or one of these meets, I'm going to be excited by that. And then we saw some other races in the, you know, in the steeple, Emma Koba ran 907, gets back on track. Courtney Wayman, 909. Really good for her. Just the third American under 910. So she's coming along. She had a really nice, in t- you know, she won NCAA indoors in the 5K back in March, and now she's running 909 in the steeple in August. Great campaign from her. We also had Jake Whiteman winning the battle of the 800 and 1500 meter world champions in the men's thousand 213. And we had Hobbs Kessler a little further back, the American, still only 19 years old, and he ran 216. And this, this performance impressed you well then. John, to be honest, at first, well, sixth place, right? Is that what he finished? Ninth place. Ninth place. Eighth place. Eighth. I was just like, oh, whatever. Wasn't that impressed. And I saw some conversion charts, and they were putting it, I think, what, 336, somewhere in there? Anyway, nothing's, he's run faster at 1500. But then I saw this post by King999. Replying to others, he said, solid, good result. You guys are clowns. 216.46 is unreal for where he has been. 
It's an under 20 U.S. record by three plus seconds. One point faster, 1.4 seconds faster than Robbie Andrews, who ran that at 25. You need a clue. It's got 126 upvotes, one downvote. Sorry, King99. We've already given away our two shirts for the day, but great post. So I think, yeah, he, Hobbs is he's having the season. Sure, he could be running a little bit faster overall, but like he gets to go to the Monaco Diamond League, compete. Just, he, he keeps having consistent performances, sees what it's like to travel Europe, tour, because that's what our professionals do. And, you know, I don't know if, and he's faster than Robbie Andrews in the thousand. I guess that's a good thing. But Robbie Andrews is, was never a time trialer, so. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at his season as a whole, it's like he didn't make the U.S. final, which you have to view that as a bit disappointing. But that's clearly like that's what you're peaking for that that meet, and he didn't get the job done at USA's. But he's run three thirty six. He's now run two sixteen. I think it's been fine for 19 years old, his first full year as a professional. I don't think there's anything to panic about. The talent is still there. I'm not freaking out now. By 2024, you really want to see him making progress and like contending for a team. And he might even be able to do that next year because I think the 1500 in the U S at least this year was a little weak. You know, if he had really been able to take that next step, yeah, he could have made that team this year, but I'm not panicking. The talent is still there. I think he's still in a good situation. Uh, and this this was a good result. Again, to go over in Europe and run 216, like you said, get that experience, I, I think that was a, a very solid effort for him. I guess more than solid is what we're being told to think. But I'm looking at the guys he was competing around. I don't know. I guess Josh Thompson was a world championship finalist. He was sixth in, price, in 216 as well. And he beat Ferguson Rotich, who's the Olympic silver medalist in the 800. Beat Benjamin Robert. He beat Korea. I mean, he beat some pretty good guys in this race. Yeah, you said by 2024, he better be contending for a team. Adidas hopes so, John. They're paying him big bucks. And I think a lot of it's guaranteed. If he doesn't make the Olympic team, it's going to be one of those investments I think they regret. But that's why we encourage him, man. Take the money. Hopefully, you meet Adidas' expectations. If not, you got a lot of money in your bank account. Yeah. Now, one other thing about Monaco, the 3,000 meters, something of a surprise outcome here. We said Berhu Aragawi was going for the world record, who didn't have a very good world championships. But then he comes out and says, oh, yeah, I want to go off. They were having him run 720 pace in Monaco. And I was like, this is insane. But he was on there for most of the time until he fell off the last couple laps. And that allowed Burundi's Thierry Ndiku Meh... Sorry, I said I was going to get this right this time, and I still screwed it up. Ndiku Mewenayo gets the victory. 725-93. People are like... They, they, we're talking about him on the broadcast. Now, I've heard the guy's name. I did remember he'd run 1259 in Rome earlier this year. You know, he's competed in a couple Diamond Leagues, but far from a household name, he's not the kind of guy you expect to be going out and running 725, which is one of the fastest times in history. And Steve Cram says on the broadcast, oh, you know, he was injured. This is why he missed the World Championships. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, is it really though? Like, 
okay, he missed the world championships due to injury. And then three weeks later, he's in 725 shape in Monaco. How does that work? Like, how are you too injured to compete and then you're running 725? So then I, I'm like, okay, well, I, but I guess that's the official explanation. But then I get a message from a source and he says, actually, Ndiku Mewenayo has been living in Spain, waiting to get Spanish citizenship. He's been living and training there for years. He hasn't competed for Burundi since the 2019 Worlds. So they're hoping that he can get his Spanish citizenship and then compete for Spain starting next year. I'm like, that makes a whole lot more sense than an injury. Maybe he had some sort of minor injury, but I think that's probably the real reason is we may see him competing for Spain uh, in the near future. Yeah, that definitely makes more sense. And it leads us to our jaded voicemail of the week. We already had our fake Josh Kerr voicemail of the week. Hey guys, Bob in Baltimore here. Love this show. My thoughts and prayers are with Rojo and his family as he battles the COVID. Have you guys thought about starting a GoFundMe? I'd be happy to give a couple thousand dollars to support him. He's such a brilliant mind. It would be a shame to lose him at this young age. But wanted to share with you my favorite message board post of the week from Supporters Club member DMB. How come nobody is talking about Ndukuwano's progression? Look at his 5K progression year by year. 2016, age 19, 1326. 2017, 1325. 2018, 1338. 2019, 1334, 2020, age 23, 1326, 2021, 1325, moves to Spain, 2022, some might say there's something to see here. Others might say no. What are your takes? All right, get well, Rojo. Bye-bye. Well, thanks, Bob, from Baltimore. We hope that Rojo is doing better. Uh, but I kind of, yeah, look. I think it's a fair point to bring up. When someone has this big improvement, especially, you know, age 25, this is a guy, he's been competing for a while. You know, he's been running fairly high level meets for the last few years. So to go from what his previous PB before this year was 1325. He ran that in 20, he ran 1327 in 2015. And he had only improved that time by two seconds over the next six years. And then suddenly he's running 1259 and 725. Yes. You absolutely have to wonder about what's going on, but I don't know enough about his personal situation. We didn't even know he was training in Spain until a week ago. So maybe it is that he's finally got a situation that works. And he's always had the talent. I'm not sure. Yes, I think it's fair to bring up, but I also don't think we need we have to condemn him immediately just because his progression is a bit out of the ordinary. Yeah, that pay is pretty good, John. Yeah, a, a, ch a change in training environment going to more stable environment's going to help, but uh, of course you're suspicious. That's how it works. But Spain becoming a middle distance powerhouse, John. This race was crazy. 
because I was so shocked at Aragawi. I mean, we talked about this at LinkedIn, the Supporters Club podcast. They had the whites, the world record. I'm like, they're going for Daniel Komen's 720 record. I consider that one, I think, better than the 1500 record. I mean, the 5K record's now sort of in the territory, but no one, no one's even come close to this. Guys are starting to sniff it sort of indoors. So I'm like, maybe it's not as unbreakable as I once thought. But Aragawi, who didn't even medal at Worlds, I'm like, what are they thinking? This is nuts. And hey, that ended up being the case. He falls apart. And, but behind him, Grant Fisher, man. Excellent job. Well, we, yeah, we praised Grant on the Supporters Club episode, but he ran this thing very, very smartly. You know, he was closing well at the end. I, I thought, you know, it's, it's, this is a tough situation to be in when you've got guys going off to the world record, but you know you're not in world record shape, but you also know you're in PR shape. How do you balance that? Who do you go with in the middle of the race? What kind of pace do you lock into? When he closed faster than anyone, 57.7, I think, lost 400. He was running people down. Just a very smart run by a guy who hasn't doesn't have a lot of Diamond League experience. He doesn't get in these fast... Like, he's been in time trials with his teammates, but he hasn't been in a lot of these fast races with other pros. And I thought he acquitted himself really well, 7.28. Terrific run. Yeah, very impressive stuff by Grant Fisher. And I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the season. I hope he goes over and runs. There's a 5K in Brussels, and then there's the 5K Diamond League final, which oh, I think they're doing it. Damn it. I was all excited to see Grant Fisher like go to the 5K final, the Diamond League final, and maybe it's a really fast race and go off to the American record. Then I remember they're going to do the stupid street race thing. And He's not going to be able to get an American record because it's some like 600 meter track through some outdoor town square or something. That just pisses me off. It should be a regular final in the stadium. Wait, but there is a 5K in Brussels before that? Or this is the same? Yes, there, there is. And right now I think he's 13th in the standings. So he might get in if someone scratches, which probably will happen. But I, maybe you just say forget the Diamond League final and just go after the American record in Brussels if you can get some other people going after it. Oh, John, knowing how Jerry's group operates, I'm betting a lot of money he's skipping the final and not running some street meet and runs Brussels. Oh, this could be great. Because we need an American in the 1240s. You heard it there, people. We need an American in the 1240s. All right. I think that's going to do it on Monaco. Unless you have anything to add here, Weldon. Yeah, John. Shelly Ann Fraser Price, she ran, what was it this time? 1262? 1062. I mean, ten, excuse me, 1062. Oh, she didn't run 1262. I mean, she's like a clock. This was a historically fast race. But it started, made me start a thread. Where can we have her go to run at altitude to break the world record? If we're going to have a bullshit world record on the books that was clearly win-dated, we need to get it off the books. I don't know. Is it stupid for me, me to arrange a race? We crowdfund some money. We always say we're going to do stuff like this. Would this be even good for the sport? Or would we bad because you have an altitude record. But I think possibly, although the altitude conversion, some people are saying, oh, you go to this track in Switzerland. But the altitude conversions only show like a couple hundreds for altitude. I think she could break the record, John, with a 2.0 wind and altitude. 
Yeah, I mean, she's run 10.60. I think she could probably run in the 10.5s right now. The record's 10.4. And you're going to be replacing a large asterisk with a smaller asterisk. So net, I do think this is good for the sport if she was to get it. Forget Switzerland, though. Mexico City, baby. They had the Olympics there. Basically, every sprint record got totally destroyed. I don't know if they still have a track there that can host a world-class meet, but... Mexico City, isn't it like 8,600 feet or something? Well, then? That's what we need to do. 7,300 feet. Okay. But that's why you do it. My wife's best friend's from Mexico City. What happened to Mexico distance runners, by the way, John? They were quite good 20 years ago. I don't know. By the time I started covering the sport, they were mostly out of it. But yeah, you had... um, who was it? Jamon Silva and uh, there was there was one more guy. Sorry, it was the son. So I'm forgetting the names here. This is Juan Luis Barrios, who was the son of Arturo Barrios, right? Is that correct or not? Am I making that up? Whoa! I was about to say John Wade Arturo Barrios, and you said Juan Luis Barrios, which there that was his son. No, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm making that up. I'm I just like I would have known that, but they were both maybe explains how he's so good. Arturo Burroughs had the 10K world record, a guy from Mexico, which is crazy. I, th- I don't think they were actually, I think they were probably too close in age to, because Arturo Barrios, so Juan Luis Barrios was born in 1983. Arturo Barrios was 1962. I guess. That's possible. Yeah. I don't think they're related though, but I always, I think part of me just always assumed they're related. It's like, oh, two fast Mexicans called Barrios. Like Mexico doesn't have that many fast distance runners anymore. They must be related, right? But I don't think they are. Yeah, John. Being sort of in between their generations, I never heard anything related. So we'll, we'll strike yeah. this portion from the podcast. Don't worry. No, no, no. I I take my losses. Uh, I'm just glad I remembered their names. But like, well, yeah, Juan Luis Barrios was like the last guy that I I was like, okay, he's good. But now I don't really have anyone. They except uh, Tonatio Lopez in the 800. They do have an 800 runner. Um, all right, should we talk quickly about those marathon fields that got announced last week? We talked about Galen Rotbrand in New York on the podcast last week. Since then, we've got the New York women's field and we've got the Chicago fields. It's going to be busy, well then. Looking at the schedule, Berlin Marathon, September 25th. One week later, London Marathon, October 2nd. One week after that, Chicago Marathon, October 9th. So we've got World Marathon majors three weeks in a row. And we've got New York City on November 6th. So it's not going to be last year's schedule where we had five more marathon majors in the fall, but we still got four, including three in a row. So it is going to be quite busy. And we know we've got Kipchoge going for the world record in Berlin. We're up in New York. Some, some of the other storylines that would come out from these other field announcements. World champ versus Olympic champ in the New York women's race. That's, my, that's probably the best head-to-head showdown of the fall. Go to Tom Gebris lost versus Perez, Jip Chia Helen O'Beary is also making a debut there. And then you've got, as usual, a very good American field in New York with Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Alphine Tulliamuk, and Nell Rojas. Chicago is pretty shallow. Uh, you do have Seifu Tura and Ruth Chepengesh, the defending champs, returning. Not a ton besides them. But 
couple Americans I'm very excited to see compete. Emily Sisson, who hasn't run a marathon since the Olympic trials in 2020. But she's in good shape. She just ran 25.08 for 8K over the weekend, or five miles over the weekend. And then Connor Mance making his debut, which I think everyone on Let's Run should be really excited for. I think he's the best American marathon prospect since Galen Rupp. It's a fast course. How good can he go? I'm very excited to see Connor Mance. And then we had a tweet from David Monty since deleted. So we'll see. But he said that Kira D'Amato apparently is running the Berlin Marathon where she's going to try to lower her own American record. So that hasn't been officially announced, but that could be in the cards. So what of these storylines are you most excited for in the full marathons? Well then. Well, John, just throwing a colleague under the bus. Um, well, London's always, obviously absolutely loaded in terms of numbers. I mean, London's like, get back to me, you know, like the week of London and it's going to be two great races. It always is. They have the money, that sort of stuff. Berlin. Okay, man. Wow. We have Kipchoge. So that makes Berlin a little more interesting for me than usual. Oh, I'm kind of sick of that. Um, the D'Amato record thing is appealing. Chicago, John, uh, was, there was a thread on Let's Run. Should Chicago be a major anymore? As someone who paced the world record at Chicago, a little disappointed to see that. It's interesting, though, because when, right after Let's Run started, we were very critical of what New York was doing in terms of its fields. They were letting them slip. And David Monty, the guy you're mentioning who used to be the elite coordinator at New York City. Remember one time he said, Weldon, it hurt me to see what you guys were saying, but it was true. John, we can't take credit for the inspiring New York fields, but little criticism goes a long way. Chicago needs to up its game. But, John, they do have, what do they have right now? The Women's World Record from a couple years ago, not that long ago. If Sisson gets the American record, this year, they'll be like, well, hey, look what we got. And I was sort of for a while buying into this Chicago Nike thing, but Sisson's a New Balance runner. So that'd be even better for me. Races yeah. can't be beholden to, to, to one shoe company or, or whatever. You have your sponsor, but you bring in the best fields. So Chicago needs to raise its game. In terms of Connor Mance, John, what about Shadrach Kipchurch, Kipchurch here? Making his debut, I think, in New York, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm less excited for that just because he's older. I mean, Kipchichia was very good on the track, but this is what we always see from Americans, right? Is they have a good track career, then he starts fading on the track. All right, time to give the marathon a shot. See what you can do there. And fine. You know, I, I'll, I'm excited to see what he does. But he's 33 years old. Maybe his best... He All right, yeah, he won USA Cross earlier this year. He's run 27-24 this year. So he's clearly not cooked. And I think he beat... He Didn't he beat Connor Mance in the New York City Half Marathon earlier this year? We were pretty impressed that Kip Chirchir ran 61-16. Yeah, I guess Mance ran 61-40. So, yeah, he could do something. But I like to see these Americans like Mance, uh, some of these real long-distance types, going to the roads earlier and seeing what they can do there. So that's why I'm more excited by Mance than Kipchirchir. But, and also, like, 
Kipchichi is not going to go out and run like 207, which is something Conor Mance could do. That's on the table. So that's kind of why I'm a little more hyped by Mance. Because if he goes out and runs 207, I think people are going to get really excited, right? Whereas Kipchichi could go out and get like fourth in New York City Marathon, but which would, could be a superior performance, but maybe won't excite as many people. Yeah, you're saying he's not going to run 207 because of the course. Yes, yes. I think on a flat course, they could run the same times. I'm a little bit surprised that Shadrach is that old. I didn't realize that. And Connor, as a lot of people probably assumed he was 33, John, but he's not. You know what I'm saying? Well, he done, Connor Man's that, turned that 26 uh, in December, I believe, though. So, you know. Bad joke. But yeah, I'm like, oh, wait, he is young. When you're going through the math, you're like, he is young. I'm like, yeah, just out of college. He's probably 23, 20. Oh, I'm like, oh, wait, at a couple years. But yeah, bright future for him. And we need some fresh blood in the American marathoning. Ugh. Rupp. John, I was running when Galen Rupp was competing. What's his age these days? He's 36. I guess I can't herald Shedrick Churcher as the future of American marathoning when I'm saying Rupp's <laughs> on the decline and has maybe one more good race at him and they're three, hours, three years apart. Yeah. I'm interested to see how Rupp does in New York. I think he will will be, assuming his build-up goes to plan, he'll be the top American. I think if he's fit, he's going to show up and deliver. It's just like, does he have any more setbacks? Because he's been having more injury setbacks recently. Uh, Lenny Courier, I think is, actually, which one did Lenny Courier? I think he's running New York as well, right? Yeah, he's running New York. He's run 207. You know, let's remember that. He was 207 fourth of the Olympic trials. I'm excited to see what he can do because uh, it's been a while since he's done a marathon. Abdi Abdurrahman's also in New York and it's his final marathon of his career, I believe. So, well, that might be the last link of a guy you sports, a guy you beat as during your professional career, still being a pro athlete. This might be it for you. Wow, John Sande. Off to... Any hopes of a comeback? Will the official be over for me? I've been secretly training, but have to shelve it, I guess. Well, this is it. You show up in New York and you race him. You say, I demand to be added in the elite field. I'm going to beat Abdi just like I did at USA's in 2003. <laughs> I know. What's this peptide I can apparently take? And just boom. Well, I won't, I won't be drug tested. Boom. I did the last well, time you I were ran definitely going to be drug tested. If you show up in the start line of elite marathon, they're going to be like, what is this guy doing back? He's almost 50. Like we're going to drug test the hell out of him. True story. Last time I ran New York, I swear, John, I, I thought I saw someone handed a urine bag going to one of the porta potties after the race. I was wow. so tired. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think I reported it. Not a huge prominent name, but nothing came of it. So. All right. W one other thing I wanted to mention about these full marathons is Scott Fobble was entered in New York and I was just kind of curious I'm like wait Scott Fobble does he still not have a sponsor and he he hasn't been too bothered by the whole thing you know he had some sa money saved up I'm sure he got a fair amount uh, yeah well he definitely got some nice prize money from Boston as the top American in the spring I don't think this is something he seemed overly concerned about but I was just thinking, like, he might... I mean, if Rupp's not healthy, Scott Fobble's probably the best American marathoner right now. 208, 7th Boston, top American there. And he still doesn't have a sponsor. Is that because he's holding out for a 
bigger payday or is it because Marath- Amer- they just don't care about sponsoring some guy who's now 30 years old, like hasn't made an Olympic team? I guess I have to. I haven't talked to Scott recently, so I don't know the specifics of the situation. But like, what do you make of this that he still doesn't have a deal? Because I thought two hundred eight in Boston, you'd have people knocking on the door at that point. Of course, he's holding out. I mean, Scott, I'll sponsor you right now, five thousand dollars a year. Right? No. But the right. standing offer right there, Let'sRun.com will pay you five thousand dollars just for this one race. If you want to wear the Let'sRun.com. There it is, John. That's a, hey, that might be appealing. He doesn't have one. It's got to be the T-shirt, though. I went old school. <laughs> Didn't Bill Rogers like win in New York with a T-shirt on, or somebody? I think he did. won Boston with a T-shirt once. Yeah. Yes, Scott has to be a T-shirt. You heard it right here. Oh, if he doesn't have a sponsor, why not? Come on, buddy, let's do it. I mean, I know he likes the Lululemon singlet that he bought. For don't the don't give them Marathon, free publicity, but... John. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not good at this marketing game, but. Yeah, well, no. Why not? I mean, maybe yeah. If you're not a Let's Run fan, maybe you wouldn't appreciate it. But it's super comfortable, and you can do that. Is that we can understand? If you wear it for that race, you get paid, and then you can sign with whoever you want after the race, and with no restrictions on shoes. You can wear whatever shoes you want. And Scott's into burritos, right? We once made a burrito T-shirt as well. So, oh my god, yeah. Scott, do it. Five grand. You wear. You can't drop out though. If if you're injured, you slog it to the finish. I don't want the guy to jeopardize his career, but if he gets injured halfway through, I'm not gonna. I don't want him to jeopardize future races. But actually, I should I should have made a contingent. Like, uh, uh-uh. I don't want you running in the back. I want. Yeah, you need over, at least over the bridge with a lead pack. Yeah, we need TV time. Your your yes. tone will go up based on how much of the time you get the Let's Run singlet on TV or T-shirt on TV. Since this is a one-way offer, I still can adjust it, right? You must be with the lead pack, visible. I was going to say halfway, but I already threw out an offer for free, right? So I don't have to. 10K. Or can I say halfway, John? You, you make you it You can ruling. do whatever you want, Weldon. We'll figure out, figure this whole thing out, draw up a contract with Josh Cox and uh, make it work. Okay. Uh, anything else we wanted to cover this weekend? I mean, we've got NACAX and Falmouth Road Race this weekend. I guess Falmouth's kind of interesting. Kira D'Amato's running there. Leonard Courier, Ben Flanagan, Fawbel. This is what, one of the reasons I brought him up. Scott Fawbel's running Falmouth, Ben True. So some of these athletes who are doing full marathons, they're kind of using this to work out some of the kinks, see what they got. And Nikit Lagarde also on the women's side. And Fente Belena, who won Beach to Beacon. So that's a fun race. I think locally on in Boston, they I don't think usually they show it on I don't remember them showing it on TV in the past, but NBC 10 apparently is re- airing the race live in Boston. So I may have to watch that. Hopefully it's over before the Brighton game on Sunday morning at nine. So uh potential conflict there. And then there's also NACAX down in Bahamas. I don't know if there's a way to watch NACAX, but Fair number of Americans are going down to compete in this meet. John, can you explain to our audience what NACAC actually stands for? I bet you 90% of our audience doesn't know. And I was trying to get the second A and couldn't figure it out either. Oh, okay. North American and Caribbean Area Championships? What's the North second Ameri- A for? A- area Championship, maybe? I thought it was North America, Central American Championships. Oh, but- Central America. Um, that was North American, Caribbean 
area championships. But it's essentially the area championships, which is the equi- the American equivalent of the European championships. Uh, NACAC is our federation. Uh, I need to look up. Is that what it's called? Is it North American, Central American? No, no, no. Okay. The last seed does not stand for championship. It's actually the North American, Central American, and Caribbean championships. So it's the NACAC championships. And the reason why some of these, uh, some athletes go down there because it's a free trip to the Bahamas. The fields aren't that bad. You you know, racing against the one other American, a Canadian. Sharika Jackson's running the 100. Shawnee Miller-Webo's in the 400. So you get a U.S. singlet. So for some of these athletes, it's a big deal. Also, it's the Bahamas, which is nice. But the big carrot on offer, and I think the reason why you're going to see Evan Jager, Woody Kincaid, Josh Thompson, Ajay Wilson, Sean McGordy, Heather McLean, is the winner gets the world championship standard for 2023. If you are the reigning champion, your continental champion in your event, that counts as getting the world championship standard. And that's a big deal because the standards are going to be getting harder for 2023. World Athletics wants more people to get in on rankings, thus they're going to push the standards higher. So if you can get the standard of this meet and you get a free trip to the Bahamas out of it as well, that's pretty nice. So I think that's the incentive for some of these athletes. Now we're assuming that is the World Athletics keeps the same qualification system for next year as they had for this year because they haven't come out with the full 2023 qualification system yet. So maybe that character, maybe that goes away. But I think that's one of the reasons why some people want to run this meet. Yeah, most definitely. But these new standards, they better not gut the U.S. championships. What's the this term? I need to run this term because I say it every time. Three people from a country, a country qualifies, we go. They have a term for this now in the marathon. Quota places? Quota places. We need, we need qualifying by quota places. Once the U.S. gets three qualifiers, they can have a national championship, pick their top three. Do not gut the U.S. championships. You'll be ruining one of the good things. People say, oh, the Euros needs to be shorter. The Worlds need to be shorter. Those meets work. They're actually kind of popular. Figure out something for the one-day meetings. Make the rest of the make, make the rest of the so-called regular season track and field actually mean something. Our championship meets are fine. It's everything else that needs a lot of work. And John, we mentioned it on the regular podcast. I mean, the supporters club class, but Heather McLean, the underappreciated performance of the week in Monaco, she went from 11th place to second place on the final lap, running 358 PB. I mean, stellar, stellar run. I mean, 11th to second, she closed faster than Faith Kipiagon, who just missed the world record. Yeah, I, when you told me she closed faster than Kipiagon, I was stunned. And that was three-second PB as well from a time she had just set four days earlier. So she ran two PBs in five days. And there was a nice feature by Allison Wade, a fast woman earlier this week, talking about her season. It's really like, she said she still doesn't think she's over COVID totally. Like she'll finish some workouts and she'll still have difficulty breathing or something like that. And not just like, you know, being tired at the end of a workout, but like, you know, she thinks it's COVID related. So I think it just took her a whole, a real long time to get over that when she got it in the spring after World Indoors. And, but now she's ready to race. You know, She's going back to Europe, I think, off the NACACs. 
So we could see sort of what we saw from Josette Norris last year when she doesn't make the US team, but then comes over and has a great season in Europe. Like, would it shock you if Heather McLean was just second in Monaco? Like, could she get third in the Diamond League final like Josette did a year ago? I, maybe, maybe that is possible. So we know she's talented. And now that she's looks to be healthy again and fit, uh, she's getting a chance to show that. So yeah, congrats to her. Well, John, Josette Norris was third in the Diamond League final last year. That's the most shocking thing you just said right there. The thing for me, John, could she be the number one in her own group? Starting to think she might be the better 1,500-meter runner. Well, she beat Ellie Puria. Sorry, Ellie St. Pierre at USA Indoors earlier this year. St. Pierre did beat her at USA's. You know, St. Pierre made the team, but she didn't have the season she wanted to have, I, th- I don't think, overall. But she also got COVID. And now she said she's shutting things down. I think St. Pierre might be a little banged up. So I think the potential is there. I mean, yeah, she's run 358. Ellie's also run 358. Ellie's absolute peak when she was at her best in 2021. That's better than anything we've seen from Heather so far. But, could, you know, if Heather improves a little bit next year, that's going to be pretty close to what Ellie was at her best in 2021. So, yeah. I think it's a legitimate debate. That's going to be an interesting storyline moving forward in 2023. Who is the top athlete in that group? Speaking of COVID, John, you know, Robert just had it. He rolled through here on his way up to Cape Cod. Is that where Falmouth is? That's right. I guess I need to go to Cape Cod. I've been to Provincetown once, but I feel like half of Connecticut, they got all these stickers on their car around here for cape cod or something where they go in the summer i'm like we're on the water it's very pretty here but nope you got to go up to connecticut to massachusetts but robert rolled through here spent the night on his way to his vacation claimed he's over the covid and i don't think you know this i'm supposed to go on vacation to sunday to bermuda british territory you have to pass a covid test to get there my wife has stated, for the record, if we test positive for COVID, Rojo's dead. So, <laughs> got to pass that test before I go up, go up, go up, up there or over there. I hope you pass it. This is nice. You guys going very? I have my two week vacation across the mountains and then Middle America, and you guys are going out to Cape Cod and Bermuda. So, I'm glad that Let's Run is enjoying the summer even though we've got these races going on and what are you, am i gonna have someone to do the podcast with robert i assume we'll be back next week I, or are we doing a friday 15 this week i want to make sure that this I, I don't know if i can do a solo friday 15 well then solo regular wednesday podcast you got to do it yourself no robert's back next week so okay he rojo was on a two-week vacation but he missed the whole first week and it's because he had covid i was just <sighs> gone but hey that's me. So that's cool. John Falmouth on TV. We got to get Rojo to go cover the Falmouth road race. He's already on the, on the Cape. I feel bad about making the guy walk on vacation, but. Oh, actually it's Sunday. No, he's coming back on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. It's Sunday. The Falmouth mile is Saturday evening, but. All right, everyone. Thank you. XC fan 2233 Salvatore Stitchmo for your post. Bob from 
Baltimore for the voicemail. And of course, the fake Josh Kerr. Fake Josh Kerr, give us a call. There's also another thread here. Is Josh Kerr the new Clayton Murphy? And remember, you got to join the supporters club. Do you want the Monica recap? Never miss anything. Let's run the done. Ugh. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You save 30% on our store, save 20% on running shoes. Get a second podcast every week. Join today. And remember, if you want to try something new, try the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. Link in the show notes. Airwave.com slash LR10 to save 10%. Gotta relax that jaw when you're running, people. Airwave.com slash LR10.